You all all right? Chocolate and dinner later on and all that stuff you've got going on? But we're going to deal with this matter of resurrection uh, before that. Um, it was, it's really funny, actually, because this week I was struggling to think of something to say. And uh, you might think, well, if you're struggling to think of something to say today, you shouldn't be up here at all, because this should be the easiest one to preach all year. But I was struggling because I think as a church, we preach the reality of the Easter weekend all the time. We preach the reality of the cross. We preach the reality of Christ risen again. And so I was asking God, God, what do I say today to these people? And the words came to me from the Apostle Paul when he spoke to the Corinthians. And he said, I saw it to preach nothing amongst you but Christ and him crucified. And he went there and he just put all of his emphasis on Jesus, on who he is and what he'd done on the cross. Such an emphasis. All of, they had loads of stuff going on. They were in some mess. They had some sin. But he was like, I'm just coming with Christ and him crucified. And today I want to put a spin on it and say, I'm going to come to you and preach nothing but Christ and him resurrected. That's what I want to do this morning. Look at the emphasis of the resurrection. What does it mean to us? And I guess it culminates in a question that I have today, and that is, what is the purpose of Jesus' resurrection? You might say you know, but there's some stuff in there I hope you're going to glean today. So I've got three reasons for you. I could have a load more, but because of time and because you're all having dinner this afternoon, I'm going to just limit it to three. And these are the three I have for you, and they're three Ps, because if they're the same letter, we remember them more, right? That's how it works. So I've got three Ps for you this morning. The first is what the resurrection proves The second is what the resurrection promises. And the third is what the resurrection produces. So it's what the resurrection proves, what it promises, and what it produces. These are the three I want to look at with you this morning. The first point I want to look at with you is what does the resurrection prove? We know that Jesus, he started his ministry at 30 years old. Do you know, from the moment Jesus started his ministry, he caused trouble. Do you know, have you read the Gospels? He goes to John the Baptist and he gets baptised in water. Immediately, the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the next place he goes to, according to Luke, is into the synagogue of his boyhood home in Nazareth. So he goes into this synagogue, he sits there, and the attendant hands him a scroll. So he opens the scroll and you know the passage that he read. He read from Isaiah 61 and this is what he said. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach. He's anointed me to release captives, to open the eyes of the blind, to set free the oppressed. That's just a synopsis of that. And it says in in that synagogue, all the eyes are intently looking at him, waiting for what he's going to say. And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence says, this deliverer, this anointed king, it's me. The moment he said that, he caused uproar in this place, uproar in the synagogue. From the moment Jesus steps out into his ministry, he is making huge claims about who he is and upsetting a ton of people along the way. He claims to forgive sins. Remember the time the man's lowered through the roof in front of him and he's put down and he could have just said, get up and walk. He could have just said that and no one would have said anything, but he didn't. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
And the religious people start to go crazy and say, who but God can forgive sins? And you see other places where he claims that God is his father. And the religious people, again, they're freaking out. How can this man say that God is his father? He claimed that he would die for people's sins and that he would rise again. Do you remember when he was before the high priest after he was arrested? And the high priest says, are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? And he says, it is as you have said. And the high priest tears his clothing in disgust. Jesus is constantly, constantly making claims about who he is. And all the time, he is upsetting people. Others made claims about him too. John the Baptist. He says, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Peter has a revelation. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Throughout the Gospels, there are claims that Jesus makes about his own identity and there are claims that others make about Jesus' identity. In the world today, in a world of philosophy and science and all these things, some people take Jesus and they just take his teachings and they say, you know what, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, but he was a good man. He was a good moral teacher. We can take some of his principles and we can live right. But if you look at all of his claims, you're unable to arrive at that conclusion that he's just a good teacher. Let me quote something that C.S. Lewis says here. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Wow. But you see the claims of Jesus, if, if they stand alone... There can be speculation. Have you ever made, had to make an insurance claim? I hope you haven't, but if you have, you know it's terrible. You phone up, I had a car accident once, and I, I phoned up the insurance company, and I said, I've had an accident, and I'd like to make a claim, and, and they take all the information, but do you know what? They don't pay me out based, based on my claim. They never want to pay out anyway, but they never ba- paid me out based on my claim. Do you know what they want from me? They want evidence. They want a a written testimony. They want witness statements. They want drawings. And when they get all the information together, they say, oh, this is a genuine claim, and then they will pay me out. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest proof that he is who he claims to be. The first thing the resurrection proves is who Jesus is. Do you see how important it is that Jesus rose from the grave? It's God's, I told you so. It's God saying, this is my son. He is God. He is the saviour of the world who will rule over all things. Without the resurrection, everything is questionable. Who Jesus is, but also the whole of scripture is questionable. 
It says the Old Testament and the prophets, they pointed to Jesus, how he would live, how he would die, where he would be born. All of these things, and they all pointed to Christ. So if Christ didn't resurrect, the whole Bible goes out the window. It all falls apart. The resurrection puts every single question to bed. Confirms that every single claim that Jesus made, him being God, him forgiving sins, him being a son, him being a saviour, they are all true. The resurrection means we can trust who he is. The resurrection means we can trust every word in the Bible. We can't keep some of it and chuck some of it out now because it all hangs on the resurrection. And because the resurrection happened, everything else is verified. The first purpose of the resurrection is to prove who Jesus is. The resurrection also proves what Jesus has done for us. Do you know that Jesus' primary mission when he came to earth was not to come and heal people. It wasn't to come and deliver people. It wasn't come to come and do miracles. His primary mission was to come and reconcile man to God. That's where he came. That's what Good Friday was all about. That's what we looked at on Friday and just meditating and thinking on that, that day where Jesus hung on the cross for all of our sin, all of our filth, all of our shame, all of our dirt and done it willingly on that cross, hung there for us. And we know how that day ended up. It ended up with the Father pouring all the wrath on him and Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing that the Father had turned away from him because of all of the sin. And then you have those amazing three words that Jesus cries out, it is finished. In that moment, God is satisfied that the price has been paid for our sins. And Jesus knows his mission is complete and so can just go and give up his spirit. But how do we know it's done for us? How do we know? Because if it's for our benefit, how do we know that it's taken place? See, the Father was satisfied. Jesus knew the mission was complete. But how do we know the price has been paid? The answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've got this uh, theoretical story, so go with me. It's not true, so don't come up to me after and say that can't be true, because I know it's not true. Um, just imagine you... Uh, you got a little bit angry with somebody and, and you punched them in the face. I'm not putting that past some people here. I reckon you could do it. It's possible. And the, the guy takes you to court and you're standing before the judge and the judge says, you're, gonna, I'm gonna, you're going into prison for one month for what you did. You can't do that kind of thing. You're going into prison for one month. And someone jumps up in the courtroom and they say, I want to take his place. I want to pay the price for his sin. And the judge is like, okay, we just want to fill a cell. That's okay. So this person takes, takes your place and takes your sentence and goes into prison. Now, the whole time in that person is in prison, how are you going to feel? Just say you're walking down the street and a policeman's coming towards you and he's looking at you. You might think, I'm going to have to pay for my sin. He's coming to get me, to put me into prison. This thing that I did is still going to catch up with me. The only time that you know that the price has been paid for your sin is when you see that man walking free out of jail. The moment that you see he is in the clear, you know that you are in the clear. 
And the same thing has happened with Jesus Christ. He died for your sin. He was buried in the ground. But how do you know that he's completed what he came to do? He raises again from the tomb. And the moment that you see him in the clear, you're in the clear. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We know we are free from the punishment and the penalty of sin because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. I'll switch it a little bit here and just say, is there any proof of the resurrection itself? Is there any proof that it actually took place? Maybe you've come today and you have questions. You might be here and you're not even a Christian. Is there any proof that the resurrection took place? For the last few years, we've taken a team out to Israel. And it's so funny because you go to all these places and they say, this is where uh, Jesus did something. And there'll be a rock. And they'll say, this is the rock where Jesus made breakfast for his disciples. I mean, there's 4,000 other rocks, but this is the rock. Uh, maybe there's some, I don't know, some bacon. Oh, they didn't eat bacon. There's some fish on there or something that was, that was uh, left over. And, and they have this, and if you're looking at the resurrection, there's, there's places as well. There's a place called the Chapel of Ascension. And in this chapel, it's a small little chapel, there's like a in, little indent in the floor. And they say, this is, this is the footprint where Jesus took off into heaven. It was like the footprint. And so people go and, and they see this stuff and, and it's just funny. And you go to the church of the Holy Sepulchre where they say, this is where he was crucified and buried. And um, they, there's some rocks that are split and they say, this is where the earth shook. And, and they have all these things but they're all hearsay. It's all, at best, it's circumstantial evidence. You know what circumstantial evidence is? If you get a fingerprint, you need to tie a person to the fingerprint before you can prove anything. But you know, Jesus will never, God will never let Jesus be tied to any place. Because the moment Jesus is tied to a place, we'll worship the place rather than the person. And these stones will never bring you closer to him. They'll actually move you further away. And we see that happening out there. So looking at physical places you're not going to find much evidence. So there's another place we can look, and that is to the Bible itself. Have you read the biblical accounts of the resurrection? Read, read all the Gospels about the resurrection. It's just so real, so raw. The disciples don't have a clue what's going on. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus, Jesus told the disciples plainly he was going to die and rise again on the third day. There are six other accounts in Matthew's, Matthew's gospel alone where he tells his followers what's going to happen. It's the equivalent of, listen guys, I'm going to die, but three days later I'm going to raise again from the grave. That's what he said to him. It's clear, he, says, he told them plainly. But they must have got the bit about him dying, but not the bit about him resurrecting. Because if you read after the resurrection, all the things that happened with the disciples, let me tell you some of the things that happened. The women were going off to the tomb on, on the Sunday morning. They weren't going to look for a resurrected Jesus. It says they were discussing about who was going to roll the stone away. Do you know why? It wasn't who had the strongest muscles, it's who had the strongest stomach. Because of, there's a body been in there for a day and a half and it's not been embalmed or anything like that. So they're going and looking for a dead Jesus Christ. When the angel comes and meets them, it says they go off and they're, they're afraid and they're full of joy and they go to the disciples and when they tell the disciples, the disciples don't believe them. And they're having their own little panic because they think they followed this Jesus who is now dead and so they're next on the agenda to be killed. You have the guys on the road to Emmaus and they're walking and looking all glum and downtrodden and when Jesus comes, they don't even know who he is besides them. You have one that says, um, after Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, Thomas says, I only believe when I see and touch, 
And if you read the scriptures, it's the most amazing thing. It says, and still some doubted. I love that the story doesn't go, Jesus rose from the grave and boom, the world was changed. The story goes, Jesus rose again and women were looking for a dead body. Disciples were freaking out of the house. One was not convinced until he touched him and still some not convinced after that. And you fast forward 40 days, a month or so later, and these very same people are the ones that are turning the world upside down. Fearful, unbelieving, doubting people on the day of Pentecost changed the course of history. For me, it's evidence of the resurrection. But I tell you, I say that in order to say this. That I can give you greater proof of the resurrection than even the scriptures. I can offer you more proof today than there was even 2,000 years ago, just as much as there was 2,000 years ago. If you're a born-again Christian, will you just raise your hand for me a minute? If you've come here looking for evidence of the resurrection, look around. This is the greatest proof, greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm a Christian. No, 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 you're more than that. You're more than that. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing piece of evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and lives in you. Eight years ago to the day, fellowship group, forgive me because I told you this story on Wednesday, but eight years ago to the day, I walked into a church for the very first time of my own free will. But it wasn't to find out more about Jesus, it's because they were giving away free Cadbury's cream eggs. And so I walk into the church and this lady gives me a Cadbury's cream egg and she says, would you like to go and pray? Obviously feeling obliged, I go down to the altar and never prayed and I'm like, God, thank you for my family and I'm just thinking, thank you for this Cadbury's cream egg, that's why I'm here. Turn around and walk out the door. Eight years later, I'm preaching to you on Easter Sunday. Listen. (laughs) How can that happen unless Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and lives in me? How can that happen? It doesn't happen. But all of you have got your story. All of you have got your, your proof that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That's why God tells you to share your testimony. Do you know what your testimony is? It's evidence. It's proof that Jesus Christ is alive. See, people are going to come and they're going to argue with science and philosophy and history, but nothing, nobody can argue with your story because it's your story. The greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is you and me sitting here today. Let me move on to the next point here, and it's the resurrection of Christ gives you a promise for your future. You know that one day you're going to die. I'm sorry to break it just just like that, but I'm I'm sure you're aware that this day is going to come sooner or later. But this is good news if you're a Christian. One purpose of Jesus' resurrection, do you know what it is? It's to show you exactly what's going to happen to you. Just as he died and was buried and rose again physically with a glorified body, a body that was incorruptible, not subject to death or sickness, so one day you will rise from the dead physically with a glorified body that is incorruptible, not subject to sickness or death. Your future is resurrection. Do you believe it? 
can ask you a question. Do you think about it? See, in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23, it says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. You're going to have a physical resurrection. Can I have an amen? Because I want you to believe, I want you to know that it's true. I think sometimes people fuss about... uh, Funeral plans and all this, and it's like, or oh, do I get buried, you know, or do I get cremated? I don't know quite what to do with this. And I heard a wise Christian man once, and he said, I've got a real strong opinion on burial cremation. He said, do whatever's cheapest. <laughs> because he knows he's not going to get an old body back recycled. He knows that a new one's coming, an incorruptible one, one that is not subject to death, one that is glorified. And it's so important that we keep this promise before us. That's why I want to bring it up this morning, because I think sometimes we can lose sight of this promise of what is to come. Before this passage, Paul rebukes the Corinthians, because of their, some of them are saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul says to them, if there's no resurrection of the dead, what's the point of Christ dying? What's the point of our preaching? What's the point of anything? And he goes on to say at the end of that passage, if we only have hope for Christ in this life, we're the most miserable people on the planet. Can I also say to you that if we take our eyes off the fact that there is a resurrection, we can be the most miserable people on the planet? Life can be tough. You can face problems. You can face sickness. You've got the devil on your case. You've got death around the corner. You might be miserable. You might just feel bogged down with life. Can I suggest you take a step back and look forward? See the bigger picture. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that. That's what the scripture says. Does that stir something in you? Does that stir something in your heart? It's a reality for us. And Jesus wants us to know and to look forward to this promise. Before his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus spent all of his time bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. So he went around uh, healing people, delivering people. And one thing he did was raise people from the dead. I think there's nine accounts. uh, Is there nine accounts? Yeah, nine accounts in the scriptures. And Jesus would have done many more of these resurrections. You know that Jesus Christ ruined every single funeral service he attended. I don't know if there was any money back guarantees for resurrection. But they would pay the mournings, they would buy the coffins, and he ruined every single one. But he wasn't there just to do a party trick. He was bringing the reality of the kingdom. And every reality he brought was almost a picture of a greater reality that was to come. And so every resurrection was saying, remember when he uh, raised Lazarus and Martha said, if you were here, my my brother would be alive. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am going to raise him up, but there is a greater resurrection to come. Keep your eyes on the resurrection to come. He is the resurrection and he will resurrect us. It's in his nature. What are you looking forward to in life? You might say, I'm looking forward to starting a family. I, I, I want a pay rise. I, I'm looking forward to going on holiday, to marriage, to moving. I, I'm looking forward to retirement. Can I ask you if you're looking forward to resurrection life? It's so important that we have that always. It, these other things aren't bad, but we've got to hold it in light of this over here. What is to come? Because some of these things might not come in. Some of these things might not work out. You might not get that pay rise. You might not get married. You might not even make it to retirement. 
Life could be taken from you in an instance. But one thing is unshakable in your future, and that is resurrection. And we can rejoice in that regardless of what we face in life. I've got a friend, uh, Tom Alsop, who's preached here a couple of times. And I spent some time with him last week. And he was telling me this story, this crazy story, about a woman who works on, on the team there. And uh, a few years ago, her and her husband, they were itinerant ministers. So they went around just preaching and teaching in different places. And their schedule was always full with uh, engagements. And they were praying once and they felt like God said to them, I want you to clear your diary for a whole year. And so they sat down and they, they were clearing their diary, just removing everything. They didn't know quite why they had to do it, but they started to clear their diary. And they were sitting in the living room and they finished their last engagement. They phoned and cancelled their last engagement. In that very moment, her husband died on the sofa. Instantly. Instantly. The moment every engagement was cleared. Do you know what she did? She started praising God. You think like, how can she do that? She had her eyes on the promise. She knew what happened. Of course there's loss. Of course she missed him. But she had the perspective to say, my husband has gone into glory. And I know that's where I'm going to be one day myself. That's why the Bible says, keep your thoughts in heaven. Colossians 3, 2 and 4, it says, have, a, have an internal viewpoint. It, it's living for now and giving it everything, but anticipating what is to come. What's in your life plan? Make sure resurrection's in it. Make sure resurrection's at the top of the list and let everything fall in underneath that. In Israel, again, you know, when, uh, on the Mount of Olives, there's, there's a Christian burial site. And, and I love that. It's like they, they lived their lives for Jesus and they wanted to be buried on the Mount of Olives because they thought, well, if I'm here, it's the place where Jesus is going to come back. I'll be raised from the dead first. <laughs> and, and I love the I don't think it's going to quite work like that. But they, it's almost like they lived with the future in mind. They lived knowing what was to come. You know, when we live with this eternal perspective, looking at the promise of resurrection for the future, our problems won't consume us and our desires won't own us. The reality, no matter how good or life bad is right now, there is a greater reality ahead. We will be resurrected to new life. That's what Jesus shows us through his resurrection. One more point, and, and we're going to close this. And it's what I guess is the combination of the proof and the promise. And it's what I would say resurrection can produce. I, I kind of, I think it's summarised in that hymn, you know, in Christ alone. You know that hymn? And there's one line in it, it says, there's no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Because he died for us and rose again. Because he proved who he is, we can live free. Because he lives in us, we can live for him by his resurrection power and we can do it without fear because we know where our future is. In short, if I was to summarise that into a word, I would say the resurrection produces boldness in life. See, if you... We've looked back and almost looked to prove who Jesus is through the resurrection. And we've looked forward to say there's a promise for the future, but the resurrection is to have an impact on us right now in life right here. The resurrection, sorry, the resurrection can cause us to live life to the full and not fear death. Are you afraid of dying? Chris Vallotton in his book Supernatural Ways of Royalty says, those who love the gift of life and have dealt with the fear of death are those who truly live. 
And in this book, he, he has this example, and I'll just use it because it's so good. And he had this life-threatening disease, and he said he was paralyzed with fear. So he phoned a friend of his who had um, overcome kidney cancer and wasn't expected to live. So he phones his friend. He's freaking out. Chris Valentin's freaking out as he phones his friend. And he says to him, weren't you afraid? And this man says, no. And Chris Valentin says to him, well, why weren't you afraid? Why not? And the man's answer is so wonderful. Do you know what he said? He said, you cannot threaten me with heaven. If we're afraid of death, and by that I don't mean, you know, we don't want to live and we don't enjoy life. I mean, if we have a a real fear of death, it, it could be a torment. We might need to get some ministry for that. But more so, I think we have to keep looking at the proof and the promises. The more we see who he is and what he's done, the more we know where we're going, the less we fear death. The more we grasp, the less we fear, the more bold we become. Has anyone seen that film, Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise? It's not that great, I don't expect you to see it. Um, but it's a sci-fi film, and in this film, Tom Cruise is this military man, but he's a general and has had no like, military experience whatsoever, pretty much. And there's this war with some alien-type creatures, and so he's thrust into this, into this army, he's enlisted and he's got a fight, and he's doing the training, and he's just terrible, he cannot do it. Um, and he's, anyway, they just pack him off and send him out to war with this team trying to keep him alive. And he's out there and he's panicking and he's freaking out and he's like screaming and shouting and trying to shoot everything, but he's not shooting any of the enemy, these aliens. And then one of these aliens just come out of nowhere and take him out. Because it's a sci-fi film, he's in something called a time loop, which means he resurrects and starts the day again. And this happens about 30 times throughout the film. And you know what? Every time he goes out, every resurrection, do you know what happens? He gets bolder and bolder. Every time he goes out, he's not afraid of the enemy that's coming at him. He's not afraid about what he's got to face because he knows he's going to resurrect if he dies. You're not going to resurrect 30 times. But you are going to resurrect. You are going to be alive. You, are, well, you will die, but you will rise again. See, the moment you know it, like Tom Cruise, you can have a boldness in life right now. It's a reality. It's a reality that will happen in your life. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he goes on to say, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. It's like the more I know Christ, the more I know his power, the more I'm willing to suffer. You can't just say, I, I want to suffer. No, 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 we need to know resurrection power in us. We need to know the presence and the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the more we know it, the more we're willing to give. We're even willing to die. We become bold. To quote the Apostle Paul, is, to live is Christ to die is gain, a win-win situation. Let me finish with this story, and I really am done. Um, some of you might know the, uh, the pastor of the Russian church, Exodus, that meets at the cafe. His name's Vasily, and I met with him a, a couple of weeks back, and he doesn't speak good English, so he came with his wife. And uh, they were sitting there, and we were just talking away, and they, they told me they'd just got back from a conference in Colombo, uh, Colombia, sorry, um, and it was in Bogota, the capital. And while they were there... They went out to dinner, just the two of them in a cafe. And when they walked into this cafe, they sat down, a bit of a shady spot. They sat down, and out of nowhere, this guy runs into the cafe and points a gun straight at them. And he says, give me your money, give me your wallet, give me your keys, give me your phone. And they just, they got everything out and give it to him. And I, I said to him, man, you must have been terrified. And he said, no, no, I was thinking it would make a good sermon. <laughs> <laughs> and this. 
And his wife said to me, he's put it in every single sermon ever since. And I thought, man, there's a win-win. You know, he could have died in that instant and gone to being with Jesus. Or he could have got a year's worth of sermon content. You cannot lose. You cannot lose. We can have a boldness in life because of the resurrection. The more we know him and his resurrection life, the bolder we become here and now. He is risen to prove who he is, to prove who you are and where you are going and to produce in you a life that is full of him and fearless of death. Happy Easter. Amen.